Assalamu alaikum. Welcome to the Mad Mum Looks. My name is Muhammad. My name is Amir. My name is Sim. Today, we have a special guest and friend, Muhammad Tawadis. Muhammad is a guru on productivity who started ProductiveMuslim.com, recognizing the need to help the Muslims deal with challenges of modern life while remaining committed to Islam. Muhammad pioneered a new paradigm of productivity. With the guidance of Quranic teachings and Sunnah, along with the best of contemporary thinking around productivity, the aim is to ignite the productive potential of this Ummah. Assalamu alaikum, Muhammad Faris. Jazakallah khair for joining us. Waalaikumsalam. Thank you for having me. No, it's awesome to have you. Tell us a little bit about uh, Productive uh, Muslim and uh, and how it started, actually. it's uh, I was listening to a few other podcasts. It actually has a pretty interesting story. Sure. So it started about nine years ago now. Kind of freaky about how much time passes. Um, nine years ago, 2007, uh, basically, I was reading a lot of productivity books. Uh, I was engaged in this whole idea of that. You know, I was I was being a student, I was, as a master's student, um, and a community member, like community sort of leader in that time, and doing lots of voluntary activities. And I felt busy, and I felt like you know overwhelmed. And I'm like, you know, I'm just a rinky-dinky student here, trying to uh, you know feeling busy. How do these top performers, ultra performers, how do they do it? How do they manage, you know, billion-dollar companies? How do they manage so much, and they don't seem as busy, or at least they're not busy as I thought I was. Um, so I started getting to the whole productivity science. And um, one morning, I uh, literally just woke up early, was going to pray Fajr, and hit these two words, Productive Muslim, clicked in my head. And I'm like, oh, I like that name. And I rushed home and I booked the domain name. And that time, the idea was to for me to take everything that I was learning about productivity and just share it with the Muslim community. Uh, that was the idea at that time. Um, two months down the line, I was blogging, I was sort of writing articles, I was sharing the latest hacks, life hacker, just me being the productivity type, lifehacker.com for the Muslim world. Uh, two months down the line, I just shut the website down. So this is a stupid idea. No one's going to watch this. No one, there's no point in doing this website at all. And I have better things to do. So I literally shut the website down for about six months. Um, and then six months down the line, two things happened. Um, a young 10-year-old boy, who's actually my flatmate's uh, younger brother, uh, emailed me and says, hey, why did you shut the website down? It was pretty cool. I used to love reading your blog. I'm like, wow, a true fan. That's so <laughs> about productive Muslim. Right? And the second thing happened was that I came across a hadith of Rasulullah that says, the early hours are blessed for my nation. And it's almost like hitting like a brick wall. Like Here I am trying to take what's out there um, in modern science and technology and productivity science, trying to share the Muslim world. What, you know, instead of me looking basically inside ourselves, inside our faith, inside our value system, inside the Quran and the Sunnah, as well as modern psychology and modern productivity techniques, and say, well, what is it in our faith that can teach us about how to live and lead productive lives? Where is the, some of these concepts that we can explore that really can drive people? Because in a way, we've had a successful model. You know, we have shown that the Ummah can be productive. We have that you know, thousand-year history of Islamic civilization. So some, they were super productive. I mean, you read about these scholars writing a thousand books in their lifetime. I wrote one book and I'm crying. I'm like, I'm not reading it. <laughs> these guys are writing a thousand volumes. And even Josie wrote 500,000 pages in his lifetime. And Bagul, like Imam Nawi, with all, his, with all his work, you'd think he lived like 80 years, but actually he lived 45 years. So it kind of boggles my mind how they were uber productive, super productive. And what did they know that we need to know today uh, that was inspired by the faith, inspired by the value system, and it was sort of systems, habits, routines um, that we can explore. And, you know, if we can back it up with the latest technology, science, experiments, research, that's great. If not, can we look into some early scholars or how they did it, habits, routines, and really try to reignite 
this um, this concept of productivity and not start not and stop blaming religion for being the reason why we're backward or the reason why we are we are unproductive or not fulfilling our full potential. Brother Muhammad, a lot of productivity is hampered well before the initiative even happens, right? A lot of people find that they can't get productive because their their emotional state is not allowing them to be productive. Their their emotions are initially actually just dictating their their actions, right? Like I don't feel like doing this. I don't feel like uh, being you know accomplishing my tasks for the day. Uh, how do people get past that? Powerful. In fact, that's actually right now what's on the cutting edge of productivity science. Before, you know, they like the science before was about tips and techniques and habits and tools and systems and making, you know, how to manage your time. But slowly now people are realizing it's actually about the emotions. And I will go a step further and say it's not just only about the emotions, it's actually about our soul. Our soul needs to be into the work we're doing. The problem is sometimes we're kind of dragging our souls to do things that have no meaning, have no purpose. They don't connect to what, what, what our purpose is on this earth. And that's the beauty of Islam, that the fact that we know our purpose. Allah says in Quran, But we've known that on a very intellectual level. What does that ultimate purpose of worshiping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can translate to my day-to-day productivity, to my day-to-day action? How can I make those meaningful daily uh, sort of, you know, uh, wins or emotional engagement with my work so that the work I'm doing, that report I'm working on, that um, that sort of uh, exam going after, that, you know, certification, it's actually connected to a higher purpose, not just that, you know, that little, small, short-sighted uh, goal that I want to achieve. So you're right, you're, you're definitely on that. So you hit the nail on the head there, but that it actually is about the emotion of the person and how they manage the emotion. And I'll go a step further, it's not about the emotion, it's actually about the soul of the person. Our souls are, you know, they crave three things. They crave meaning and purpose. They crave, um, you know, rituals that connect them to a higher purpose or connect to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And thirdly, they, create, they crave, you know, lead, uh, leading lives are based on values and principles and discipline. Those are three things that our soul crave. If we can infuse that into our day-to-day productivity, that's when we, we sort of become more emotionally engaged, or the way I like to put it, our souls are more engaged, and that will be driving us to become more motivated and get things done and not procrastinate and so on and so forth. But the moment we disconnect our souls, and most people do that, they go to work, they disconnect their souls, they go to school, disconnect their souls, and it just becomes a, a, a grudge, and you have just, just to trudge and try to, you know, you know, you know, get it out of the way, and it's, you're only relying on you know, how how good you're feeling that day, and have you had a good breakfast, have you had listened to the right music that day, and it just it just and it becomes so hard to push through the moments where you just don't feel like doing it. Yeah, it's it's like building a a strong character within your mind in order for that struggle to take place, right? Where you mm-hmm. actually come to the realization that there's more to life than what I'm doing at the current moment. I used to be a, a, a video game addict, you know, where I'm playing games like Madden and FIFA and Call of Duty and trying to get to the top of leaderboards. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, I would come close to achieving those goals and, and within those games. And then uh, I realized that these, uh, the objectives that I met are only within my head. Nobody has benefited from these objective from me accomplishing these tasks within these games you know and i feel like a lot of uh, young people and and people in the society are struggling with that same type of 
uh, addiction, you know, where whether it's video games or or anything, you know, they're, they're constantly I mean, I wanting to. to I, I was a video game addict. Same thing. I used to uh, love uh, Call of Duty. I used to World of Warcraft. And I used to spend hours. <laughs> yeah. You know, literally, I mean, and I like same realization where it's more like, what does this all mean, and how does this add value to those who are around me? And the moment you start asking those why questions, yes, they're difficult questions. Yes, they make you uncomfortable. Yes, it's not pretty. What you what you when you look in the mirror, realize what am I doing in my life? But asking those questions makes a huge, huge difference. Um, I mean, just to give you a, a bit of quick history of productivity science, you know, before productivity is more about efficiency, right? And this is in the mid 1960s, 1950s. Uh, you know, um, most of the science, the sort of work time study was built on efficiency. How can we make uh, the human being more efficient? And then the 1980s came out, the sort of the Stephen Coffey book came out, and that, you know, 1989 talks about more about importance versus urgent, having a vision, you know, and sort of keep the end in mind. So that's kind of the 1980s type of uh, uh, study. But now, you know, in this today's world, people are kind of like, it's, it's, it's lovely how this, this full circle comes back to the soul now. The full circle now is actually, you know, important urge is one thing, but you know, the third dimension of all this is actually significant. What will this matter in, will this matter in the long run? Yes, it might be important. Yes, it might not be urgent. Or yes, it might be urgent. But will this matter in the long run? Will, and for a Muslim, that long run means the akhirah, means meeting Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that's why I say the, the way we define productivity, productive Muslim, is about making smart choices with your energy, with your focus, and your time towards maximizing your reward in akhirah, towards pleasing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's, ultimate, that's what our productivity should be driven towards. And that does not mean just in terms of ibadah, but worship in his very, very general sense, which is every good deed Allah loves, every good action, good word Allah loves you to do. So that's that's where we're at. It's it's actually, I mean, as, as people might not have thought about it from a productive perspective, but it's actually very, very linked to our day-to-day, just um, getting up in the morning and getting things done, making those smart choices every day. Mohammed, let me, uh, you know, one of the three things you talked about was meaning and purpose, right? You know, for somebody, uh, let's say somebody in college, you know, the three-month break, I don't know how it is where you're from. But over here, you know, you get three months off and then you get a month off in in, in the winter. I, I don't know about other people, for, but for me, though, I have no purpose during, during that time. You know, I'm not studying for an exam. Um, you know, I just got done with them. And so I'm just kind of bumming around. You know, I'm kind of just uh, just wasting away. What do you do about that? I mean, I know I know the typical answer is, you know, I don't know, go go memorize or, you know, go read Quran. But um, like what are, what are some some things you can do in that short period of time to actually kind of keep going? Really? kind of yeah, just keep things rolling. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I mean, I don't want to go on a rant about the modern education system now. <laughs> <laughs> to be just please do exam focused, and you know, just get on, get exams done, and just pass exams, and that's it. That's our life purpose during the first eighteen years of our life is just to pass exams and make sure we get through college, get to college. Um, again, and that's been trained in us. I think the, the the for me, those three months should be our opportunities for you to work on a project, think of a project. What would be your project for those three months? It could be, hey, I'm gonna start an online business. It could be, I'm gonna test myself on Fiverr. I'm gonna offer service on Fiverr, make some money on the side. It could be, actually, you know what? I'm gonna go and like work on some projects that in the end will actually help you in your CV. Because right now you probably know about you know, the job market where it's actually getting more and more difficult. Every student looks the same or every graduate looks the same. What, they've gone through 18 years of college, they've done four years of college, they, they, they sort of, um, they got the grades, you know, they got the same marks. How do you differentiate yourself 
in front of an employer if that's what you want to go to, uh, in a corporate world. Well, you differentiate yourself by doing the things that no one else is doing, like, for example, starting a random business, like, for example, um, doing internships, like, for example, just doing things that no one else is willing to do or no one else is bothered to do. So what would that project be for you? What would that, you know, what would that one, think of one project, have a, have a nice, satisfying one project, which lasts for two months or three months, and just, you know, start to finish and get it done through that, through that time. And that way you feel more satisfied about your vacation. You won't feel like a waste of time. And this is actually one of the interesting things that um, I learned about productivity is that we are happiest when we're striving after something. Like, if you think about it, the most amazing vacation you had, right? The first day, you might be on the beach, beautiful location, you love it, right? First day you're there, awesome. Second day you're there, mm-hmm, nice. Third day you're bored. Third day you're like, um, I'm kind of sick of this uh, hotel. I'm kind of sick of the food they serve here. It's like after three, five days, you kind of get kind of bored if, if you're doing nothing. But if you kind of add meaning to that, if you, I don't know, you go hiking, if you do some, you go learn how to die, if you, you know, do things that will add meaning experience to your life, suddenly becomes the most amazing vacation you've ever had because you had those experiences. So think about from a perspective of what experience is going to add. It does not have to be academic. It does not have to be spiritual as long as experience add value to your character, to your being. And there is, like I said, part of this general understanding of worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You know, for example, if you want to go and take a paddy um, diving license, you can say, my goal is that I want to get the paddy license so that I can explore Allah's creation in the, in the, in the sea, right? You just connected something that seemed like a, like a recreation to something that's almost spiritual. And it's amazing. And I, I, I love to go diving and it's just like the most amazing thing to explore. Like when you're there, like a whole different ummah is down there doing stuff as well. Where are these people? What are these guys doing here? And it's amazing. It's just like mind boggling and it's very, very spiritual. So think about those experiences um, from that. So think about your, your breaks and vacations from an experience point of view. Uh, Brother Muhammad, I, I realized that the way you're describing productivity now, it's almost synonymous or it's inevitable that it's going to lead to enlightenment, right? And I, I haven't, I don't really hear about productivity in that way. It's it's very, it's inevitable that it's going to lead to enlightenment, right? Um, that's the first thing. The second thing is that you mentioned the educational system and it's inevitable if you want to be as productive as you can be, you have to know what type of education you're getting and how that education is given to you, right? Mm-hmm. So, what is your opinion of students from such a young age? Forget about the whole three-month break, but every day, five days a week, confined between walls. Yeah, they have to switch between you know different casings of walls throughout the day, every 50 minutes, right? But what what is your opinion as far as productivity is concerned in this environment for productivity for children? Yeah, I mean... Again, there's been studies show that, for example, one of the things that uh, schools do is they, they stifle creativity and curiosity. By age four, um, a young child will stop asking why questions or stop asking a lot of questions because they just realize that if I ask questions and if they're stupid questions, my peers and my teachers might make fun of me. So just that environment by itself, you stifle creativity and curiosity and curiosity and creativity are the drivers of people to be more productive and to talk things out and test things out. So that environment, so that's one, just one aspect of, of how the modern schooling system is, it's, it was designed for the industrial revolution, which was, yes. we want to produce these people, these, you know, these human beings who are being born every day, we're going to put them through a system, and they're going to come out as nice, cool, you know, nice, you know, obedient employees, and we're going to put them in a cog inside a corporate environment so that they can produce, you know, some kind of work, which is replaceable by somebody else, or we can just outsource it somewhere internationally. So, 
that was the whole purpose of the city. It's like literally, it's like a it's like a conveyor belt. You go through this conveyor belt, come out of the conveyor belt as a person who is who can plug into an IT desk or an office desk or an accountancy desk or a lawyer desk, um, and that's what has been created. But today's world, things are changing so fast. The the companies themselves don't know how things are going to be five years from now. I and mean, think about you know when, when I look online and see something like social media consultant. I mean. That 10 years ago, you cannot train for that. When were you yeah. 10 years ago? How would you have trained for that? Right? And that right, now, right now, I have an online business and I actually am struggling to find talented people who can manage my online marketing. Literally, I'm struggling because no one has been trained. They come up with this very, oh, in school, we study that this is what marketing should be done like. And it's like, uh, guys, welcome to the 21st century. <laughs> it's not going to work online like this. So. This whole idea about the way the, the school system is developed is it was built for a specific purpose, but was not built for what we are able to do. Now, having said that, I'm not saying we should just rebel and not go to school and just like forget it. Hamid Faris tells us that you know there's no point us being in school. My purpose is that when you go through the school environment, given the constraints, right? Given the constraints you're in, sometimes constraints are actually good for creativity. Like you should be conscious what's happening. You should realize, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna do the school thing. It's very easy. Once I know how to study, once I know how to pass exams, that's that's that will done. I'll just take care of that, just check check off the boxes so I don't come across as a failure to a society. Because unfortunately it will take a long, long time before people realize that failing in school does not mean failing in life. But for now, it does matter. So I'll say go through school and knock that out. But at, in parallel, always be conscious, and this is something I wish I learned earlier in life, always be conscious of what experiences am I building? Am I starting a business? Am I doing something you know, uh, physically active? Am I doing some social work, some environmental work? What am I getting myself into? And for Muslim, you connect that to a higher purpose. You connect that to worship. It's not about just taking a gap here and having fun and traveling around the world and messing around. It's about maybe I take a gap here, but what would that gap here mean on a spiritual level? I may get involved helping with the refugees. I may get involved helping with some environmental thing. And I'm connecting this to my worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, to my character, to my ambassadorship as a Muslim. And, okay, I'm, I'm, not, I'm sorry I'm going on a rant here. But no, no. no. No, I, I was I was just gonna. Are you are you were you working on another point, or I was just gonna mention something, um, another inspirational aspect of just you know talking to you for a few minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, you've mended this uh, the these two things of your deen and your relationship with your creator, and this dunya and being productive on this dunya, right? Mm-hmm. So were you always about this? Uh, uh, specializing in productivity was this something you grew up with or was this something that happened like what did you do before you specialized in, in the productivity science great question so basically i was i was one of those literally i went through college not knowing what i want i went, so I went to school not knowing what i want and then i had a really cool economics teacher I'm like oh i'll be an economist so i literally mm-hmm. applied for economics having no idea what that means uh <laughs> once i post graduate so oh, yeah i'll just be an economist i'll just assume things and I just went through economics. I did a uh, four-year degree in economics. I did a master's in economics. And then I realized, uh, what on earth am I doing? Like, I, why would I do this? It's literally. And then I ended up working as an economist in an international bank, um, as a risk management officer. And that was like my sort of called so-called day job. But you know, it was it was literally not my calling. It's funny in my in my job, even though I was official title was risk management. 
I did everything but risk management. Like, <laughs> I was involved in strategy consulting. I was in, I was like the whiz kid in, in towns. So all these like really like senior people used to love working with me because I used to like get things done for them fast. So I used to get involved in the strategy, 40 year strategy, this and that, and get involved in so many things, you know, how to improve the productivity of the employees, all this strategic, you know, um, project, which had nothing to do with risk management. But that was how I coach sort of, it's called job. Now I know it's called job crafting, where you craft your job according to what you, what you want or your calling, something that really drives you. Um, so that's how I kind of stumbled upon this. But and, and even, so even though in my master's, I started studying productivity, and that's when I started Applied Productive Muslim, but it was just going in parallel. It was a small part of my life at the beginning, but as the more I got into it, the more it became a larger and larger part of my life until it came to a point where I just said, you know what, this is it. I really have to move, choose between my career or uh, Productive Muslim. And for now, I chose Productive Muslim and see, okay, well, let me just jump in this and see how it goes. So that's where, that's where I kind of went full charge starting last year, actually. So it's it's been it's been a journey. It's not like it's not, it's not like I had a vision, you know, 2020, all that stuff. Okay. It's just it's like you kind of stumble upon this, and like I say, also Allah Subhanahu wa Taala has guided you know guided me through this process. It's not I cannot credit myself. I cannot credit um, saying oh you know I discovered this. It's literally how sometimes you look back, you can connect the dots, but looking forward, you have no idea how things are gonna go. So that's where that's how things have been so far. Yeah. And I I sense uh, a little bit, and I, I may be incorrect, but there has been. Um, and maybe you're just being humble. There has been some studies of, of Arabic and Islamic studies underneath your belt too, right? I mean, I learned, I mean, I, was, I lived in Saudi for a while, so I picked up Arabic just being in Arabic school. And all my Islamic knowledge has actually been like self-learned. I didn't go to a scholar. I didn't go to a sheikh. I didn't go to a traditional uh, school of, of scholarship. So I also, that's why I tell people I'm not a sheikh. I'm not a scholar. I'm a practitioner <laughs> of activity, but I do read a lot of books and I do speak to law school and if I have any questions I'm not sure I would pick up the phone and I'll call alhamdulillah very very amazing mentors I have who are scholars that I can ask them for advice and ask them for the actual ruling on certain things but I'm not a scholar I'm not a sheikh I am somebody who's just wants to understand this connection between faith and productivity on a very practical level it's more like I'm a, I'm a researcher more than, than being a scholar basically mm. um, Muhammad uh, how is productivity uh, quantified Great question. So normally the scientific way of doing it is output over input. So how much output you produce over the input you have. And that's a very industry definition of uh, productivity. On human level, that's when it gets a bit messy because you can't really, I mean, for you, just because you produce 10 podcasts this month, does that mean you're more productive? I'll say it depends. That's a great month. Exactly. <laughs> Usually half of those are going to the recycle bin. <laughs> that's, a, that's a great putting it. So if that's what you mean in terms of being productive, so what does productive mean to you? How is it linked to long-term goals? And, and long-term, I mean really long-term, i.e. That's what being productive is. Is this thing adding value to my really my long-term goals? How am I making choices for my energy, spiritual energy, physical energy, social energy, my focus, how I focus, and my time, so that I'm achieving these these long goals that are these long-term goals that actually add value, add meaning. Um, the other day, I was having a brainstorm uh, with uh, my partner and I. We'd, we'd sort of, you know, lead, trying to get into the corporate world now, do some training in the corporate uh, corporate environment. And we're trying to think about, you know, one, one choice we had was just become a box standard productivity and leadership training provider, right? Just like, you know, oh, yeah, we do communication skills, team management skills, all the box standard stuff. And I told him, literally, I just don't feel alive doing that. I would, I would probably hate to hate doing that. But then the moment, you know, why don't we offer faith driven professional training? 
where we say, you know, faith is a huge, huge factor in people's lives. Let's not deny it. Let's not hide it. And we're here to help you discover the power of faith in professional development and personal development, leadership development. Now, how you communicate that and how you reach out to them in different markets is a different story. But we are actually finding now there's a lot of interest from like the top universities as Harvard Project as Princeton has a whole centical faith in work initiative, um, you know, which focuses primarily, uh, primarily on faith in work. Yale has a cynical faith and culture, which talks about spiritual capital of organizations. So this idea of spirituality is becoming now more mainstream. And why not sort of us tap into that and say, yeah, there is, we're offering faith-driven professional training um, on leadership and productivity, because that is what really drives people in the end. So it comes down, so, that, so that's how you measure productivity. It comes down, does it, am I adding value? Am I contributing towards my long-term goals? And for Muslims, it's towards the akhirah, or am I not? You can be super productive producing, like responding emails all day long, but does that make any sense or does that add any value to your long-term goals? We, we actually just talked about finding a purpose, right? Once you find that purpose, what's the next step? Mm-hmm. So once they, they, they realize that there's two ways of doing it, that's why I say it's a bottom-up approach, top-down approach. The bottom up, the top down is for you know is the one that you already hear. You have a vision, right? You know, like in ten years time we'll be there, and has how now, and then you sort of break it down on like on a on a yearly, monthly, five year plan, and so break that purpose, that vision, that goal into something that's more tangible, more measurable. You put ahead of smart goals, it's more specific, more time bound, all that stuff. That's if you know exactly what that end goal looks like. For some people. And again, this is what happened to me. I had no idea where productivity was going. I just do not know. I knew I wanted this one I wanted to dedicate my life to, but how will it go? What business model should I follow? How should I develop it? What sort of structure should I have? Who should be on board? I had no idea. So what I had to do is more like do a bottom-up approach, which is trying to set shorter-term goals, almost like the next three months, this is what I'm working on. Oh, for the next six years, this is what I'm working on. Oh, sorry, next six months, this is what I'm working on. Let me work on that. And let me see where that where that takes me. For example, recently launched a book. I mean, that was a, that was like my one year plan. Let me just launch this book. I launched a book. It's like, okay, now where this book takes me? Oh, I can go corporate. All right, let's plan and get into corporate environment. I didn't start off three years ago, five years ago. Oh, in 2017, I will be in this many countries doing this many talks. That's not how I work. I work more like backwards. I had no idea where things are going. Nowadays, getting a bit more clearer because I'm in this game for about nine years now, so it's getting more, more clearer. But it's taking those steps. And it comes down, um, if I were to boil it down to like really, really simple advice, um, I had the pleasure and honor of meeting uh, Sheikh Bin Bayer, who's a well-known scholar. He was based in Jeddah. And I went to, his, went to his home, me and my friend, and we asked him, give us advice. And he said, have good intentions and work hard. And that's it. That's all he said. Like, I was like expecting a whole lecture, but he's <laughs> good intentions and work hard. And I'm like, uh, okay. And it took me like a while to just hit me how profound that statement is because that is the secret formula of success. You have a purpose. You know exactly what you want to work on. And you have no idea how things will turn out, but have good intentions and work hard. Leave the outcome to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You are not in charge of the outcome. That's up to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Your, in your hands is that intention, the good intention, and the hard work that drives you. Again, same for you guys. You guys now start this amazing podcast. What's the thing will drive you? Two months is awesome, amazing work you've done so far. Six months, one year, three years, you'll have to come back to your initial. There'll be some days you're like, oh, forget it. It's too much work. Or, you know what? I don't, I don't see any value of this. But if you come back to your intentions, why you guys started this, and, and put in the hard work, it will pay off in the long run. Things will be developed in ways you don't expect, inshallah. Inshallah. Um, what are some rituals you have? Say it again? What are some rituals you have? Like, I know, like, with the uh, people that are productive and everything, they always have, like, the same thing, you know what I mean? Uh, what are some 
what are some things you do daily that um, that helps keep you focused or whatnot? Okay, so for me, example, my morning ritual is probably my most important ritual, um, and it's probably the time of day we have the most uh, amount of willpower and the most amount of control. What happens? And my, the baby's not awake, the people are up and running. Um, so it's a good time. So we normally wake up before Fajr, get ready, um, go Fajr prayer. After Fajr, do the Adhkar with Quran, come back to Fajr prayer. And this is my, my sort of special reading time. I'll read for like an hour. Um, normally a book that I'm interested in or something that I'm, I'm fascinated about. I'll just read, uh, have my breakfast. And I try to keep it the same breakfast every single day just so that I can just not think about oh, what I'll have, fried eggs or cereal. It's more like <laughs> the same oatmeal um, sort of dish. Uh, if you want to know what it's about, you can check out my YouTube. I actually have I show you a Snapchat of how me making my breakfast. <laughs> so that's <laughs> something you want to figure out. And then after that, I start my work. Uh, it's normally 7.38. I'll start writing first couple of hours. That's my sort of uh, my writing time. And then wherever, however the day goes. Um, I normally have a call with my assistant around 10 o'clock or 12 o'clock. What's sort of schedules in the day? Uh, things I need to look after. Lunch time, I'll take a, actually my lunch break is quite long actually, it's almost like two hours. I would go, A, I would go, um, uh, this is the time I actually get shower, sorry, I go and exercise, normally cycling to the masjid and back, uh, which is great, sparing going to masjid with cycling, so that's exercise and going to pray. Come back, shower, have lunch, um, sometimes I have a nap, sometimes there's no nap depending on what I have to do, and then I work till the rest of the, um, till the rest of the evening, till around 6, 37. Um, take and that's it, and then I'm just done for the day. I just will not do anything for the rest of the evening unless there's something I need to work on. If there's a webinar or something I need to work on, um, and that's it. I try to sleep as early as possible, and um, and yeah, that's it. Very very boring life. That's, that's, <laughs> what, that's, that's what I do. <laughs> Sometimes just having that routine is more important than uh, anything else. Just establishing a, a morning routine so that you can have a good, good launching pad for the rest of the day. How important is that? absolutely critical because you don't want to be making these decisions of what time should I wake up, what time should I sleep, what time should I, uh, what should I do now. It's more like you have a, you have a structure. For example, I know that early is reading time. I don't care if I feel like reading or not reading, it is reading time for me. I have eight o'clock, I have to write. It doesn't matter if I don't have anything to write, I, I should write. Uh, 12 o'clock, I'm going to message Okay, let's cycle. Whether I feel like cycling or not, or whether I don't feel like it, I go cycle. So you kind of like, it puts that structure to your day. And there's a great book by Jonathan Fields called Uncertainty and talks about how to ma uh, manage today's uh, uncertainties. And he said the rituals are absolutely critical for just, you know, having those touch points in your day where it's all like keeping your sanity in checks. For example, I need to tell you, 10.30, I have a, like, I have a, like a ritual, go downstairs, have tea. Like, I have to have tea at that time. <laughs> so it becomes a ritual, right? It's just like, it becomes like a, something you just build onto your rituals. And it's great and it's amazing. It helps you... Um, so structures, uh, structure the rituals. But here's the curveball. Um, now, Allah subhanahu wa out of his mercy, he doesn't want us to stick to our rituals for too long. So what he does, he throws in Ramadan. So Ramadan comes and literally like completely uh, changes your rituals. Like it just completely puts everything upside down because it forces you now to reassess the choices you're making with your energy, your focus and your time and how you're putting the right energy focus on the right activities and to sort of come up a better person to make better choices once after Ramadan comes. And that's the beauty of Ramadan. It completely destroys those old habits and routines and forces to reassess. Some people hate that. They think, oh, no, it's Ramadan. I'm panicking. But I see that as a great opportunity to say, well, you know, I've, I've been following this ritual for a long time. Is this actually the right thing to do? What else can I do? How can I improve myself? It forces you to make those choices and daily. You know, that's crazy. You brought that up, actually. We, um, I was talking about that with a friend. Um, me and this guy, we work together now. 
And, um, you know, just as it is, um, it's, it's hard even, you know, adjusting. And then now you have Ramadan that comes up, you know, um, you know, 830 is Maghrib. That's when you, you know, when you break your fast. And then what, 10 o'clock, 1030 is Tarawih. And then it goes to like 12 o'clock. And then you got to wake up at 6 o'clock. And then there's no time to do anything else. I mean, uh, you know, let alone work out and anything. What, what do you What do you do about that? Do you um you just kind of run with it, or or do you quit that month? So, <laughs> so Ramadan, Ramadan is where I really test my stuff. I'm like, you know what? I've been talking about productivity for the whole year. Well, let me see if I really, really know what I'm talking about. I mean, this is where it really tests you, um, and it's amazing because it's almost like for me, it's like the I, I see it's just like a mindset thing. If you see Ramadan as a chore, if you see Ramadan as a, uh, oh my God, I'm panicking, I don't want Ramadan, I'm stressed out, then you will be stressed. And yes, it will be difficult. But if you see Ramadan as a challenge, like, you know what? It's like a marathon, right? There are some, while you're running a marathon, it's not fun, right? There are moments you just hate yourself. I mean, why did you even pick up this marathon in the first place? So it kind of, but, but if you see it as a challenge, something that you really look out, uh, look forward to, and you plan for, and that's why, I mean, um, we do a whole like program, Barakta Muslim, a 30-day program preparing people for Ramadan. Like, you know, every day, guys, you need to prepare for Ramadan. It can't be just, oh, Ramadan's tomorrow. And you, bam, you just have to change your routine, change your sleep uh, schedules, change your meal schedules overnight almost. So it takes people almost so the first 10 days, everyone's like days. They have no idea what they're supposed to do. And then once, <laughs> by the time Ramadan is, when, once they kind of figure out their Ramadan routine, oh, Ramadan is over again. So <laughs> they start feeling guilty. Like, oh, I'm, I messed up this Ramadan. I didn't do Ramadan properly. Well, you need to prepare for Ramadan. And this is from the Sunnah of Rasulullah that, you know, for example, he used to fast a lot during Sha'ban, for example. And, and why? And then he said, he gave a spiritual answer that this is the, this is the month that the deeds are, are, are looked to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Uh, but also, even from a productivity perspective, he's training himself, he's training his body, he's training his brain. He's training that, hey, fasting is coming up. You better get ready for fasting. So let's start fasting more often in Shaban, for example. So these are small things that we could all do just to preparing ourselves for Ramadan. So I think it's, it's, it's that mindset shift, that shifting from Ramadan, oh my God, Ramadan is coming, let's panic, to awesome, Ramadan is coming. It's going to be a challenge, but I'll prepare for it. And I'll try to make sure that, you know, I'll try my best to make those right choices with my energy, focus, and time, that means trying to sleep as much as possible, meaning uh, between the time of, between whenever it's reasonable to sleep, of course, taking naps during the day, making choices with your energy, not having fried food for, for breaking fast. I know you love the pakoras and all the amazing samosas and all the awesome food, Ramadan food, Ramadan sweets, but those things kill our energy levels because we just have caused a huge spike in our blood sugar level and it drops after that and that's why we feel so lethargic I don't blame the fasting. I blame the choices we make each day with our nutrition, our fitness, our sleep, and not sort of that mindset of how we approach Ramadan. That's why Ramadan, you know, is, is a difficult month for many people. And that's why I say don't blame Ramadan. Blame ourselves and look into yourself and see how am I supposed to prepare for Ramadan in a very effective, practical way. And that's why we, we kind of help people develop during Ramadan. Inshallah. That's, uh, that's such an important point you made. It's just nutrition so important because if anyone has tr- tried a low-carb diet, it, it might as well be uh, you feel like you're fasting because you get that headache. Your body is craving sugar for the next couple days before it con- kind of completely leaves your system. And then you, you kind of go into that, that ketosis that people talk about where your, your body goes into a burning fat for fuel instead of sugar. But and but once you go through that those couple days of hardship, mm-hmm. um, you feel so much better. You feel light on your feet. Uh, you feel uh, less cloudy in your head. Have you had to make those changes uh, in nutrition when you first started uh, um, 
trying to yeah. achieve a I mean, productivity. You mean like in order to be more productive? Yeah. 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 I mean, absolutely. I mean, that's why like I'm conscious of my breakfast, dinner, lunch. If if I'm invited out, I actually stress about that because <laughs> I'm like, oh, oh here we go. Because <laughs> I know what's going to happen. You go outside, people are there. It's very hard to know. So I, you know, you're almost like always conscious of this thing. And it's almost like for me, it's like, is the price I'll pay. I know this might taste really, really good. Right. This biryani will be awesome. I'm sure I'll love it. But the problem is what price will I pay when it comes to in the morning not being able to wake up for Fajr, right? Not being able to uh, wake up for Suhoor, not being able to function, do anything productive the whole day. Uh, that's the price I'm going to pay. Not being, being a good parent because I'll be in a cranky mood. Uh, not being able to have be a good husband. So it's almost like when we start making those links between our sleep, nutrition, fitness, which is our physical well-being, and, productive, and, and Ramadan or just general productivity, then you realize, man, that's too costly. Like, I'm like, yes, that donut tastes really good, but it's not worth me having a fight over with my spouse because I was in a cranky mood, for example. It's like, is this not worth it? It's not worth me not being able to work and produce a work that I'm proud of. It's just not worth it. So I just said, forget it. I'm not, I'm not doing that. Once you come to that realization, but it takes time. Again, I don't expect people to make that. It took me a while. I'm, I'm not going to say yes for nine years I've been doing this. It took me a while to make those choices, but just slowly well, and surely make those baby steps and then over time, like like you said, you just your body just get used to it, and you'll be fine. You'll be fine after that. What would you tell an eighteen-year-old Muhammad Faris? <laughs> after what you know <laughs> now, know now. Don't do economics. <laughs> First advice I got. Um, I think I think I think more focus more on experiences and less on academics. I used to be a whiz kid in terms of straight A's, do good in school. Wow, once I hit twenty, once I hit the twenties, then I realized. It really does not matter. I mean, again, I'm not. not I think parents listening to this will freak out for me saying this, but it's not about the grades. It's about yes, get check that box off, do good in school. Right? I'm not saying be a failure in school, and if that's your passion, that's when you're going to be specialized and be the best in that thing, that field. But also think about experiences, the holistic experiences, and the relationships you build with people, because that's going to matter in, in the long run. And I mean, literally, it's hilarious. Like nothing of my six five years of university has added anything to my current career. Having said that, the experiences I had outside my academics is what's adding value to today. Like I was involved with the MSA, I was involved with city council, I was involved in interpreting, like I was an interpreter between like Arabic speakers, non-Arabic speakers. Like those experiences, I was like, I was a window cleaner for a while, I was a shopkeeper for a while. Those experiences are, are literally helping me in my career today, not the lecture on microeconomics and on interest rates and all those stuff. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. I mean, that's where that's where it is. But again, I I I, I mean, I will. I'm expecting some hate mails from, <laughs> and but I'm expecting hopefully some fan mails from 18 years. Like, yes, thank you. Please say that again. So, inshallah, that that will be helpful. No, and for me at least, um, it was finding something you're passionate about. Right? I couldn't, um, I couldn't get into anything unless I'm passionate about about it even at work and whatnot uh as soon as i start losing interest in whatever i'm doing i have to kind of find something else at work that i'm that i can focus my attention towards so that i'm being productive in that manner where and that's human that's that's you being human that's yeah. not like you're a weirdo that's that's human yeah. <laughs> that's like every yeah. you cannot force somebody that's the beauty of being human beings a lot of gives us this ruh this soul we're not machines. We're not just like, you know, our computers, whether they like it or not, will do what we say we will do, right? We're going to type in. They're going to show us what we type on the screen. They cannot say, no, sorry, don't feel like showing what you type on the screen today. <laughs> but human beings, we have a soul. We have a ruh. And our ruh 
craves meaning. It craves higher purpose. It craves, if you just tell do this because I told you so, you just completely turn off that person. And this is what now, again, look at, read HBR articles. This is what all those modern manager techniques come, come across. It's about engagement. It's about empathy. It's about emotional intelligence. What does that all mean? It means about literally being, it's sort of feeding the ruh with meaning and purpose that will take us forward in life and not feeding it with like just junk and oh you just have to do it because we told you so and that's why and this is the power of where of, of the of uh, us realizing this and then putting that into action because that's going to really propel people to achieve amazing things in life and this is what again when i look at the history of our of our ancestors whether the scholars the mathematicians they were really they had they put the soul into this stuff so it wasn't like yeah, I'll do it as a hobby or because it's a job. They really put their soul into this thing, and that's why they achieve amazing things in a very, very short period of time. You know, um, I don't know if you've... Uh, this book has also been translated. It's, it was called The Value of Time uh, yes. by Abdul Fattah Yeah, That's my favorite book of all time. Yes, one of my favorites also. Also, I just wish I could apply it better in my life. But um al Zaman, this book that was written, is all about those individuals that you talked about, right? Imam Nawi and how much work they put in. And sometimes they would put so much work in, they forgot they, they did other things when they actually did it, you know. Are these uh, translated books? They're translated. Qima yes. oh. Zaman is called The Value of Time now, yes. Okay. I think it's translated by Awakening Media, is it? Yes. By yes. Awakening, yeah. By Awakening Media. And uh, I think um, there's a hadith that we should definitely mention uh, where Muhammad Sallallahu he mentions, uh, he, he says, اغتنم, uh, اغتنم قبل خمسن, right? Uh, make sure you achieve uh, five things before five things may occur to you, right? And the first thing is, he said, um, that you take advantage of your youth become you, before you become old, mm-hmm. um, and your health before you fall sick, and your wealth before you become poor, and your free time before you become preoccupied and your life before death right and uh this hadith comes in you know a few narrations ibn dhar uh you know abu dhar there's a i think a narration of him abdullah ibn abbas um but this is i think the the uh the everything that you're talking about has to do with this hadith everything that all of these individuals wrote about just the value of time i think this hadith summarizes all of this right and, and for, me, for me, more than summarizing it, it actually creates that urgency factor. Yes, yes, to be to be proactive, right? Yes, I mean, all of us, I mean, I mean, it kind of hits you. It's almost like that reminding you that, hey, if you think about it, uh, you, spend, you spend 20 years of your life just getting through school, and then you have 40 years, to, sorry, 10 years from 20 to 30 just trying to figure out what the heck you're going to do after school. And then you have like from 30 till, what, 60 that almost like that healthy living type that we at your maximum physical and brain capacity, perhaps. And it's like, it kind of goes downhill from 60 plus, right? You know, <laughs> illnesses, not doing well, taking care of old people, you know, people passing around you, around you. So it gets difficult as you age. And, uh, and the hadith remind that urgency fact that, hey, time is going to run out. And this is one of the powerful things about productivity, that it's, it gives you the sense of urgency that it, I don't have a lot of time. Right, it's not about I'll wait till thirty and figure it out. I'll wait till forty and figure it out. You gotta start now, like really, really now. That's why I love this. Um, uh, what was that book about uh, the twenties? Something by a psychologist. Oh, I've got the I forgot the name of the book. Uh, maybe, maybe I'll maybe send it to you after the show. Uh, after the show, so you can put it in the show notes. Yeah. It's actually a book about reminding people in their twenties that they should really invest in their twenties, not wait till their thirties. Basically, mm. um, that sort of that sort of mentality. Where you realize time is running out. It's not. It's not like I have. Oh yeah, I'll figure it out when I get there. 
it's that, you don't have that much time. That, that's and that amazing, pressure amazing. and that urgency will force you to be productive. Will and, force you to, to seek those experiences. I, I just want to add on to that. Do you remember that that the portion? Obviously, the book "Qimut uh, Zaman: The Value of Time" has amazing stories, but. And one of the things that I found most interesting is, you know, Imam Taymiyyah, his grandfather, would tell him, when I go to the bathroom, just from far away, read something, so at least when I'm in the bathroom, that time's not going to always, I can hear something beneficial, right? And that totally blew my mind away that, I mean, we have this understanding, of course, you know, you go into the bathroom, you know, in an Islamic perspective, and you leave, you don't spend too much time in there. But even that few minutes that you're in there, he didn't want to waste that time. You know, Absolutely. and obviously himself, obviously, is not actively doing any ibadah, but he wants an outside source pouring in some type of knowledge so he knows at least he's making use of all of that time. You know, and uh, that was very inspirational for me. And I never thought about utilizing your time when you're in the bathroom. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, oh, well, sometimes, I mean, there are other stories in the book where, for example, uh, a person would be, he would have a book inside his sleeves. Yeah. Like, and then he would walk, and when he, when this, when the teacher paused, would go back, he would pick up, pull up, pull up the book from his sleeves and read it. And nowadays we've got the Kindle, guys. I mean, we could just literally read anywhere. I mean, yeah. And if you can't read, if you're driving, use the audiobooks. I mean, it's just, you, you should be think about how will I use the idle time. And if you really are stuck, you have no Kindle, no audiobook, then at least let your tongue keep remembering Allah SWT. That's the least thing you can do, which is amazing by itself, because that keeps you going. There was a guy um, who said that he memorized the entire Surah Al-Baqarah being stuck in traffic. So where he, just, he just realized, okay, I'm stuck in traffic. Okay, wait, no, <laughs> let me just read this verse uh, a couple of times. Oh, I memorized it. Let me go next verse. And he memorized the entire Surah al So it is, it is fascinating when we start looking at time as an investment um, and not just as, as, as something that we kind of pass on. And this is what, um, in a way, that, that the thing that kind of drives the productive Muslim sort of project is, is, is kind of make the Muslim world realize this. You know, Muslim world, including Muslim communities in, the, in Muslim countries, or just generally the Muslim ummah, we need to realize this. It's in our faith. It's not an extra thing. It's not like a luxury thing we should do. It is part and parcel of our faith to be conscious of these concepts, to be conscious of your energy, your focus, and your time, and to make those smart choices so you can lead a meaningful life, so that you can worship Allah Subhanahu better, so you can get to Akhir. It's not, it's not like, oh yeah, the things I'll get to when I'm when I when I get a nice job. It's it really it's a, it's a part and parcel of our deen. But unfortunately, we've kind of disconnected the rituals from the rest of our life, and hence we can't see that link. And, you know, inshallah, pray that this project, Project Muslim, or other projects such as your podcast and other projects help make that connection for many people. Inshallah. Inshallah. Brother Muhammad, there's an important uh, tidbit you, you made. Um, the importance of positive energy and positive messages coming in uh, your spare time. It doesn't necessarily mean that you ha- always have to listen to the Quran or, or something Ibadah related, but just uh, having uh, like a productivity-related podcast, listening to that in your spare time, that kind of builds a framework in your mind where you're building your mind towards always being in a productive state, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. Very, very critical. I mean, the, it's, like, it's like the friends you choose, right? Yeah. The friends you choose have an influence over you, um, right? And there's now has been studies shown that even like, your average income will be the in- income of these, like, so the average of the six people you kind of associate the most with. So these sort of concepts where, the, so if you, even if you those friends, does not have to be real friends, could be digital friends, meaning the podcast you listen to, the radio you put, the show you put on, what you do in those, the books you read, those things have an influence over you. They have an impact. And it's like the, the one thing that I'm, that I'm getting more conscious of as I'm getting into this work is that there's no such thing as a, as a, as a, quote-unquote, um, uh, risk-free choice. 
every bite you eat, every calorie burn, every minute you sleep, every book you read, all these little choices, they do add up over a lifetime. And once you, make, once you realize that, that's when you realize, okay, I got to be really, really careful. Is it really me worth it to make this bite, make this move, read this book, listen to this, do this with this time or not? I mean, that's when you start getting really conscious and that's when you reach a level of what, you know, the value of time, does book talks about, where people become so conscious, even when in the bathroom, they become very, because they know this is a choice you got to make. And that's where you exercise your full free will. And that's where you become the best of nations, the best in humanity, when you make those choices. It's not easy. I'm, I'm not saying, guys, like people think, oh my goodness, you know, people might panic listening to this podcast right now. <laughs> it's not easy, but it's, but it's making those choices. Have good intentions and work hard. Some days you'll falter. Hey, I admit, some days I just don't feel like being productive. Some days I just feel like lounging around doing nothing, right? It hits you. But then you say, okay, but then once, let's say you had a pass that phase, Okay, you get yourself back up again. You try to force yourself. Maybe one, you know, if I, if I really want to sit down and do nothing, I watch TED Talks, right? I'm not, I don't want to do anything. I want to watch TV. Let me watch TED Talks instead because they're more intellectually, for example. So you just kind of build yourself up, um, you know, and you really sort of help yourself to overcome those moments. And this is part of being human. Some days you are excellent, some days you falter, but that's part of being human. It's okay. It's not, you know, don't beat yourself up and think, oh, I failed once, therefore I will never do this again. I failed once, I failed twice, I failed a million times, but I'll keep picking myself up because I have no other choice if I want to get to Jannah Shah Ta'ala. Yeah. One thing you touched upon there um, is actually really good. Um, everything has a price. You know, it, it reminds me of this. So I take the train, um, you know, to work downtown, right? And so what happens is during the mornings, I get it's a, it's a whole hour. It's like a 40-minute train ride. And there's always a friend that gets on the train with me. So the first week, we were just jumping on the train together. And, you know, we talk, talk about nothing, too, That to be honest. I mean, it'd be just a bunch of nothing. And then lately what I started doing is this, I completely avoid them. I got on a completely different cart so I can read. And um, But, I mean, it's true, though. Certain days, um, I just I don't want to. Certain days, I don't want to read. Certain days, I just want to sit there and just kind of bum, you know, put my headphones on and, you know, listen to whatever. And then and then you realize, like, yeah, everything has a price, you know what I mean? I'm kind of just going on about nothing right now. But no, no, Yes, it's, it's a very good point you're making because there's one hadith that I come across recently that says, لِكُلِّ شَرَّةٍ فَتْرَةٍ That there, for every... Uh, moment of like high energy or excitement or something like, like almost like a almost like a spark there is that moment of that you know where you just feel oh i can't do this anymore and then the prophet continues that whoever when you go that moment of low levels if that moment is towards his sunnah meaning that you're not missing prayers you're not completely like you know i'm just gonna do nothing i'm not gonna pray i'm not gonna sit down and do nothing <laughs> then if you're towards his sunnah then he'll be fine but it's realizing that human being, and that's why Aisha has sometimes said that some days I see the Prophet praying almost all night. I think, I think he never sleeps. And some days I see him sleep. I think he never wakes up to pray. Some days I see him fast so much. I think he never eats. And some days he kind of eats consecutively. I think he never fasts. And that's just to show you that he was human, that he was, you know, that there are, you go through these ups and downs. But making sure that your low point or those moments of laziness are not where you just go, go the complete other extreme. And like, you know, let's say, for example, let's say it's like someone's like you're on a diet and if one day you just off your diet, you just go and kill yourself with like junk food and, and ice cream and so on and so forth. But it's kind of like, OK, maybe today I'm not going to have the super healthy salad, but I will have at least sort of these healthy, uh, I don't know, organic cookies. I don't know if they exist or not, but <laughs> something else will make you feel better. So that way you kind of oscillate, but not oscillate too much that takes you outside the, what your purpose and basic is. Um, speaking of reading, can you can you tell us about your book? Um, and just so, just uh, in a nutshell, so 
uh, the listeners uh, can understand what the book's about, inshallah. Sure. So the book's called The Productive Muslim, where faith meets productivity. And it's basically a, I made it trying to make it more like a practical guidebook, uh, connecting this idea of spirituality to productivity, but also going into the physical aspects so of sleep, nutrition, and fitness, as well as the social aspect. So we have a whole framework, the way we frame, how does, what does the, what does the productive Muslim mean? It's not only about spirituality, but it's about spirituality, about physical well-being, and about also social well-being. A lot of productive books, when you read them, they focus on the person, individual. Like, you get you get smarter, better, faster, forget everyone else. But for a Muslim, we realize that there's that social responsibility of taking care of our parents, our children, the, the community around us, our neighbors, the citizens, the ummah, humanity. So how can we be as productive Muslims, take our productivity beyond ourselves? So it's kind of divided into three main sections. The spiritual productivity, talks more about barakah and productivity, the purpose and how to tap into, find those sources of barakah that multiply our efforts and multiply our time. And then we talk about physical productivity. This is more the scientific stuff, sleep, nutrition, fitness and also how to manage your focus in this age of distraction. And then social productivity is about taking that beyond, um, taking that science that you learned on productivity, taking it beyond yourself to helping and comp- contributing to those who are around you. And then we kind of wrap it up with uh, productivity during Ramadan. And finally, how to be productive after you die, which is a great chapter to end your book with. Awesome. <laughs> where, where's your book? Uh, where, where can people get it? So it's available on Amazon or on awakeningstore.com and um, you, you'll find it, you know, people will deliver it to your home, inshallah ta'ala. It's, uh, it's available in paperback and uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, more than happy, people want to know more, they can go to productivemuslimbook.com. They'll find more breakdown of the chapters, some testimonials, and just generally um, what the book is about. Did you, um, are you coming to someone's town in the near future? I will, inshallah ta'ala. So based starting after Ramadan, I'm going to be doing a um, sort of book tour, book launch tour in the U.S. and Canada, starting U.S. and Canada, inshallah ta'ala. Before that, in Ramadan, I'm 21st of May, depends on which of this podcast will be released, but 21st of May, I'll be in London. Um, and you, I'll do a couple of U.K. tour uh, around that 20th May, 20th May to 30th of May. Um, and then I'll be based here back, back in Dallas for Ramadan. And after Ramadan, inshallah ta'ala, I'll be hitting some cities uh, we're coming to some of the conferences that are coming up, ISNA, ICNA, all these conferences happening, inshallah ta'ala, as well as, uh, so we, we're hoping to do some kind of like uh, book meetups. I don't want like a massive book launch, just want to meet people on the ground, talk about the challenges and just listening to some of the issues they're facing and how we can all uh, sort of uh, start this almost like this movement of people who are willing and, and wanting to be more productive with their lives in a very spiritual, from a faith-based perspective. I want to I want to tell the reader uh, the listeners too that um, that you actually have a lot of webinars uh, that you do right. Absolutely. So we do online live webinars uh, almost weekly, sometimes I mean weekly or monthly. I mean, it depends. We at least one or two a month. Uh, example, before Ramadan, we have a series of webinars. These are all available online. We also have our Productive Muslim Academy. This is for those people who want to take that step further and be within like an environment, community of learners. We have all our courses there, our classes there. We have a private Facebook group where you can discuss some of these issues and get some feedback on it. So it's called Productive Muslim Academy. It's like a, it's a subscription-based uh, platform for people to sign up for and to get that sort of more in-depth knowledge. But everything else is available on our website. We have podcasts, resources, worksheets. Uh, sorry, not podcasts, interviews, sorry. Interviews, uh, worksheets, uh, animations, cartoons, videos. There's enough to keep you busy uh, for a while and keep you child productive. And for Ramadan, we have a really uh, very extensive program, starting with 30 day before Ramadan program and during Ramadan, Ramadan course. Uh, and post Ramadan, we have a post Ramadan course launching, inshallah, after Ramadan. 
Um, so, you know, alhamdulillah, we've got a lot coming up and really, really just want for us, we want to make sure that we give as much value and for people to give us feedback. You know, how is this stuff helping them? Is there something missing? What can we do to really re-inspire, to reignite people to lead productive lives, inshallah? I really want to encourage the listeners to, to check out your website because um, I was on it and you have a lot, I mean, you cover a lot of topics. I mean, um, you know, everything relates to productivity somehow, but um but a lot of really interesting topics, though, um, which I think is just useful for anyone, really. And your Facebook page was just great uh, snippets of, of knowledge just throughout the day. If you well, if you guys hit like on his page. Productive Facebook group. Yeah. The... <laughs> so, I mean, again, I have to credit the team for doing that. I mean, we have an amazing team uh, of writers who write those articles for the website. Amazing team who are managing social media. This is not all myself. I'm not a one-man show, alhamdulillah. There's a, there's a whole team of, there's about we're 25 of us oh, wow. uh, on the team who are writing, who are, you know, helping. Some of the, some of the webinars I do myself, sometimes I get guests over. So I'm blessed uh, and honored and just really humbled by an amazing team that have been putting for the past five years. These are like the same people who are doing the infographics, the videos. Uh, and just keeping it all going. So I'm um, just, uh, I really have to credit them for, for the growth of Rakhim Muslim, alhamdulillah. Jazakallah khair for, for coming on the show, inshallah. Um, uh, you're going to be at Isna, right? I am, inshallah, going to be at Isna. Oh, inshallah. Um, hopefully we can uh, meet you there. Inshallah, we'll have all the uh, all the links to your website and your book uh, in the in the description. Yeah, and uh, if anyone wants to drop us a note, uh, send us an email at themadmamluks at gmail.com. T-H-E-M-A-D-M-A-M-L-U-K-S at gmail.com. We also have a Facebook and a Twitter handle also at themadmamluks. Uh, Jazakallah for listening.